And our first reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 18 to 25. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning on page 1154. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where are the wise? Where are the scholars? Where are the philosophers of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we stand together for the Gospel reading. It's from John chapter 2, and verses 13 to 22. Page 1075. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins for money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ, King of eternal glory. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lord, thank you that uh, your word is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And may you illuminate our way today as we reflect on your word together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do be seated. Some of you have done uh, Alpha at Christchurch uh, over the years. 
And um, often when we run Alpha, there is a session entitled, Who is Jesus? And as part of our small group discussion at the end of the evening, we will look at a whole variety of images of Jesus. Uh, You might have this sort of Robert Powell, um, Jesus of Nazareth type image. Uh, the sort of famous one, Jesus, the light of the world. You can look at these afterwards if you, if you want to. Um, images of Jesus on the cross, images from all over the world of, of Jesus in different settings. And uh, they come from all sorts of different cultures and have different dimensions of Jesus' character and uh, ministry. And we often ask, um, which of these images do you most relate to? And which of these images do you find more awkward, more difficult? And one of those that um, often comes up as one that people find quite difficult is this one. It's called the Angry Christ. In fact, so that everyone can see it well, I'll pass one round um, each side of the congregation. Just pass it along. The Angry Christ. The Angry Jesus. The finger-pointing Jesus. It's not an image that immediately comes to mind when we think of our Saviour And yet we're reminded today, and those who are here Sunday evening, we're reminded too of Jesus' angry outburst in the temple courts. As far removed from a gentle Jesus, meek and mild image as you can get. On this day, just before Passover, Jesus is Mr. Angry. Um, I guess, yeah, looking around, I think most of us are old enough to remember um, Steve Wright in the afternoon. Yeah, on uh, Radio 1. And uh, Mr. Angry from Purley was a feature for many years. Anyone remember that? Few few nods. Well, Mr. Angry... Anita remembers. It's obviously, you know, a key moment of her growing, growing up. Um, Steve Wright in the afternoon, they had this uh, guy phoning in, Mr. Angry from Purley. And he'd, he'd rant and rave about some issue of the day. And at the end of his phone call, he'd say... It makes me so angry. I could throw the phone down and then you heard a crash as the receiver was, was thrown down. I wonder what Mr. Angry would be ranting and raving about today. Potholes in the road? Cues in the post office? The fact that Bromley Heath no longer has a post office. The price of electricity? Plenty, I'm sure, for Mr. Angry to get his teeth stuck into. But uh, actually, most of these things are are fairly trivial in the grand scheme of things. Jesus' Mr. Angry outburst was about something of far greater significance. The Passover reminded the Jews of God's great provision for them. His rescue of them from slavery in Egypt. Escape through the Red Sea. Enemies defeated. Total reliance on God. And yet here in the temple, the very place where God's presence was deemed to dwell, people were cheating and conniving and making money out of those who'd come to offer sacrifices. How dare they? Stop turning my father's house into a market, exclaims Jesus. I wonder what Jesus is angry about today. Unscrupulous betting firms taking punters for a ride. Credit card lenders charging extortionate rates of interest. 
People traffickers making profit out of people's misery and vulnerability. Churches adorned with gold whilst people in the communities around them struggle to feed their families. Plenty to get upset about and plenty for his people to raise their voice over. And he wants us to raise our voice. We see in this passage that there is an appropriate anger, a righteous anger, where we speak up for the oppressed and challenge corrupt practice and complacent living. And we are Jesus' mouthpieces in a world which largely chooses to ignore him. The Father's name and reputation is more important than our own. But there's rather more in this passage than simply the call to speak up and confront. It's there in the middle of the Gospel reading, verses 18 and 19 of John chapter 2. Affronted by Jesus' behaviour, some of the Jews ask him for a sign to prove his authority to behave like he had. And Jesus cryptically speaks of a temple destroyed and then raised up in three days. He's not referring to the physical temple, of course. The sign of his authority would be an unlikely one. The sign of the cross. First weighed down with his broken body, and then three days later, standing empty as he rises from a tomb nearby to demonstrate his victory over death and triumph over evil. Even at this stage, early in his ministry, he's very aware of his ultimate destiny, of the path of obedience and sacrifice that he was called to tread. The Jews were bemused, the disciples were confused, but were able to see, like us, with hindsight, the truth and significance of his words. During our lifetimes, we've seen all sorts of ideas rise and fall. Politicians of all flavours offering solutions to the world's problems. All sorts of philosophies, policies, schemes seeking to improve people's well-being and deal with the injustices of the world. Many things have been achieved. Great steps forward in equality, international aid, the infrastructure of society. And yet... Human beings will never have all the answers. There will always be things to get angry about, wrongs to be righted, injustices to be overcome. And it's right that we engage with those things. And yet we're reminded that the true source of hope for the world is not in angry voices, the angry voices of protesters or the vehement pleadings of politicians. It's in the one who humbly suffered on the cross that rose to life in triumph. In human terms, it makes no sense whatsoever. As we read in 1 Corinthians, Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus clearing the temple courts of corruption was a sign of what was to come. That single act of cleansing in the temple was just a shadow of what he'd achieve on the cross. Opening the way for a new start for all who would listen and demonstrating that evil would ultimately be defeated for good. 
and humanity's fractured relationship with God restored. It was that message that drove Billy Graham to devote his life to travelling around the world preaching about Jesus, calling men and women across every continent to follow him. It's that message which has inspired the hymn writers down the centuries. Edward Mote, in the 19th century, had a very ordinary upbringing. Uh, In fact, his parents managed a pub. He trained as a cabinet maker. But having accepted Christ as a 15-year-old, he eventually became the minister of a Baptist church down in Horsham in Sussex. And it was um, while he was there that he wrote the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. And he spent many years as a pastor down in Horsham, and uh, the congregation loved him. And uh, at one point, I don't think this happens in the Anglican Church, does it? At one point, the congregation offered him the church building. (laughs) Very generous. His response was, I do not want the chapel. I only want the pulpit. And when I cease to preach Christ, then turn me out of that. There's no doubt that God wants us to express his love in the world and to discern what righteous anger looks like in our day. But ultimately, we must keep coming back to the only means of true healing and restoration, one that we call to mind this morning as we share bread and wine together. Edward Mote lay on his sickbed at the age of 77, knowing that the end of his life was near. And he's reported to have said this, I think I am going to heaven. Yes, I am nearing port. The truth I have preached I am now living upon. And they will to die upon. Ah, the precious blood which takes away all our sins. It is this which makes peace with God. The message of the cross. The message that does call us to engage with the world and express our anger at corruption and evil, but that ultimately leads us in the way of peace. Let's just pause for a few moments in prayer.